Well, this is the last message in a series called The Thinker, and we've said each week that it's kind of a, been a different series in that we've tried the best we could to just start with pure human observation and reason, look at life, ask ourselves some questions that would come naturally, and then see if Scripture affirms what we conclude on our own. Uh, we've covered a lot of ground, and, and I strongly urge you, if you've missed any of these, they're all online. You can go back. You can check them out, particularly the very first message. I would strongly urge you, if you missed that, to uh, pick it up. So we close today with a question, and each message has been a question. Uh, why would such a being tolerate the present state of things? And by such a being, we started this series by saying, you know, is there such a being of, as God? And if there is, what would this being be like? And we use just human observation and reasoning came to conclusions. So today, why would such a being tolerate the present state of things? And this is one of these real sensitive uh, topics. No doubt some of you have probably thought through this at times and talked to people that will point to things going on in society, things that have gone on in history, and they'll say, you know, look, <laughs> how can you possibly say that there's a good God that's present if all these things that happen each and every day uh, happen in our society. So it's a sensitive subject, particularly if you've you know, felt that sting of personal pain from um, evil coming close to your life, and most of us probably have. So let's ask a question. Before we go asking why would such a being as God, would, why would he tolerate it? Why would we, why would anybody tolerate uh, situations that we believe should not exist? Why, why do we tolerate them? Um, it's usually just two reasons, essentially. And the first one is this. Sometimes we tolerate situations uh, that we believe should not exist because they just don't bother us that much. They don't affect us. They don't get that close to home. We're not actually, we're not actually that concerned with them. And we tend not to be that actually concerned with terrible situations until they become personal. Then it starts to concern us. But sometimes we tolerate situations that we believe shouldn't exist because we're just not that concerned. The second reason is this. Sometimes we're unable to do anything about it, and we know it. That the problem, the evil, if you want to call it that, is, is so big, it's so complex, we feel so weak, so overwhelmed, we, we don't really feel we can do anything about it. Now, could that same thing be true of God. There's one guy, at least, that believes it's so. Uh, we quoted him in the first message. His name is Sam Harris, and he's an author, philosopher, and outspoken atheist, and Sam Harris says this. He says, somewhere in the world, a man has abducted a little girl. Soon, he will rape, torture, and kill her. If an atrocity of this kind is not occurring at precisely this moment, it will happen in a few hours or days at most. Such is the confidence we can draw from the statistical laws that govern the lives of 6 billion, should be 7 billion people. Sam's a little behind on that. 7 billion human beings. He goes on. The same statistics also suggest that this girl's parents believe at this very moment that an all-powerful and all-loving God is watching over them and their family. Are they right to believe this? Is it good that they believe this? No, Sam Harris says, it's not good that they believe this. If God exists, either he can do nothing to stop the most egregious calamities, or he does not, what does it say? He does not care. 
God, therefore, is either impotent or evil. Now, probably some of you have heard this, this argument before. If you haven't, it might shock you a little bit because it, it sounds pretty logical and pretty reasonable. I mean, let's, let's take it through one more time. I mean, if God is all-powerful and most Christians would believe, and even by using reason, if he's powerful enough to create the universe, if he's the eternal first cause of all first causes, he's powerful enough to stop evil, it would seem, on one level, but he doesn't. Or is it possible that he could, but it just doesn't matter that much to him. It's not affecting him. He's invulnerable. He's detached. He, he doesn't care. That seems like a little corner that Sam Harris and others that think in those terms can box us into. But, but is that really the only alternative? And is that thought, that kind of thought, is it very new? Or could there be some affirmations that it's really a pretty ancient way of concluding what the truth is about life in the universe? Well, let's go back to Psalms. Way back in the Old Testament, we have Psalm 10 saying this. Why does the wicked man revile God, like Sam Harris reviles God? Why does he say to himself, he won't call me to account? He says to himself, God will never notice. It's the idea that God's not, if he's there, it doesn't matter to him. He's not going to pay any attention to what I say or do. He'll never notice. He covers his face and never sees. But it goes on to say this in Jeremiah. Jeremiah 5, 12, it says, the Lord himself speaking, it says, they have lied about the Lord. They said, he will do nothing. This is the problem of evil that so many, and I'm going to be honest with you. I hear often from Christians and even Christian leaders that this is, this is the, the ultimate problem that we just don't have an answer to. We'll have to wait. And, and I don't know what Bible they're reading because, honestly, the Scripture is very clear. There is an answer, and God gives that answer. And it's the best answer. It's a good answer for the presence of evil. And I hope by the time that we leave this session today that you will feel more clear about this subject. And more importantly, you might even be able to be clear enough to, to talk through this with someone who may honestly be struggling with it. So, is the truth that he cares too little or that he can't? I mean, that's the kind of position of Sam Harris, that God cares too little to do anything, or he cares, but he can't do anything. Well, let's look at one portion of Scripture very early on in God's revelation in the book of Genesis. Genesis chapter 6, just before what we would all term the great flood. There are great flood stories all over the earth. It's, it's something that's almost beyond uh, dispute that there was a great flood, a global flood. But anyway... Here's the words just before that flood took place. It says, The Lord observed the extent of human wickedness on the earth, and he saw that everything they thought or imagined was consistently and totally what? Notice God's thinking uh, in, inside people's minds. He knows what we think, what we intend. And, he, and there was a time in human history, and by the way, by this time, from the time of Adam to Noah, when this took place, there was a huge population explosion on the earth because people were living very old ages, having multiple kids. So there could have been, by this time, already millions of people on the earth. It goes on. It says, the earth was ruined in the sight of God. The earth was filled with what? Violence. So the Lord was what? Sorry he had ever made them 
and put them on the earth, it did what? It broke his heart. Now, if some of you are saying, wait a minute, wait a minute, it says he's sorry. Does that mean like it caught him by surprise that he didn't know this was going to happen? No, no, no. When God emotes in Scripture, God emotes in real time. It doesn't mean that it's caught him by surprise, but he genuinely feels your hurt with you, my hurt with me. This is because his capacity is so amazing. And so it's not that he was called apart. Now, if you know anything about the historical context of this, it was a very unusual time. Some of God's angels that were in rebellion came down to earth and mated with human women, and they started uh, infecting the human gene pool. In fact, they spread so widely that it seems that it went all over the planet because the remains of these offspring of these beings called the Nephilim, these, these gigantic beings that were half angel, half human, uh, things that they built are all over the world, so they must have spread over the world very quickly. More importantly, the scripture is very honest, and it says that the entire world had come to a place where you read it, their thoughts were filled with only evil continuously, and there was one man left. There was one guy left on the entire, in the entire planet that trusted God. So God intervenes in an emergency fashion, showing that he, he has two things going. God shows that he cared because he said the evil broke his heart, the violence broke his heart. But he also showed that he can do something. He intervenes with a global flood that takes away all the evil for a short time. And leaves just Noah and his family. But we know it didn't take very long at all for evil to start to grow and multiply. And it's now engulfed our world once again. So that obviously isn't a solution. Brute force to stop evil obviously does not, cannot ever work. God only did that because of an emergency situation. All those that trust in him, all those that are righteous would, would have died out. Not to mention the human gene pool was being deeply infected by the Nephilim. So it's not that he can't, it's not that he doesn't care, and it's not that he can't. We can see that from Scripture. But might there be another important reason? I mean, that, that's a good question to ponder. Is it possible that it's not that he's unconcerned, it's not that he's unable, might there be another important reason that he's not actively, in the way that we would like to see it, intervening to stop evil or to uh, modify the present state of things? We tend to think in terms of, um, you know, if I were God, I'd at least stop all the murders. Just curious, how many of you, if you could blink your eyes and stop all the murdering today, you would do it? Can I just see your hands? Yeah. Now, here's something interesting to think about. We know murders take place all the time. But I guarantee you, I, I think I can guarantee this, I could be locked in a room or, or locked in a situation with you guys uh, we, we could be forced to live together for months, and I would never have to... Let me rephrase that. How about for days, and I'd never, and I'd never have to be afraid of you murdering me. <laughs> because it's just who you are. It, it would never run through your mind. In, in fact, you would do anything you could to help me. Likewise, I would do the same for you. Nobody's forcing us nobody's restraining us so could there be another reason why god is not intervening graphically and powerfully i, I mean our solutions to evil tend to be um, 
very hands-on. In fact, it, it's, it's, a, it's a fascinating and a scary thing to see what's happening in the world today. We, we are drifting very fast toward uh, George Orwell's 1984 world where everybody is watched all the time in your home, around the clock, everywhere you go. Um, how many remember the movie Minority Report? Tom Cruise? Uh, you might not like Tom Cruise, but it was a very cool movie. In, in this movie, it took, was supposed to take place in Washington, Virginia area in 2054, uh, they had these three beings, precogs. They, they could see into the future, and they floated them around in this jelly-like weird liquid. But they would project in advance, before a crime would happen, they would project to the police force who was going to commit the crime, where it was going to happen, and they would go and be right there to do an arrest before, before they committed the crime. Right now, right now, there is software called pre-poll and crime scan that is being used by over 60 different police forces. I know we have a lot of, a lot of police in here, so you're probably familiar with this, that's trying to do the same thing using algorithms predicting where a crime is going to occur, who is going to commit the crime, to the point that they have lists of people and they will go in advance and say, I want you to know you're on a list and we're watching you because we believe that such and such a crime is going to be committed and you're on the list. They're actually doing this. It's, it's the thought that if we can get enough control over everybody, if we can watch everybody all the time, we can stop them from doing bad things. Uh, facial recognition software is a fascinating thing. It's all, it's all this stuff fits together. Over in China recently, it was in the newspapers, it was a stadium with 65,000 people, a sports stadium, 65,000 people. And facial recognition software found one criminal in a mob of 65,000 people. And the Chinese authorities came and arrested him. Now, some of us are saying, yeah, man, way to go. But be careful. Sometimes when you want something, you get what you want, but then you don't want what you got. How many remember the TV series Person of Interest? See your hands? Very cool series. Everybody's on camera all the time. I'm not so sure that that isn't already true. Because our solution to evil is Orwellian control. We, we, we don't know what else to do, but Orwellian control doesn't work. Really. And so maybe the reason that God is not intervening right now is because it's not that he's unable and it's not that he's unconcerned, but maybe it's something else. Maybe it's this. Maybe the problem is something that's got to get inside. I mean, I mean, what would have to happen for all evil everywhere, all of the time, to forever cease? You ever think about that? I mean, maybe the Creator is thinking in larger terms than just restraining pockets or types of evil. So what would actually have to happen? Let's say there's 7 billion of us on the planet. What would have to happen for all evil everywhere, all the time, to forever cease? Well... There's a couple things that would absolutely have to happen. Here they are. We'd have to have unified convictions about what is evil. All 7 billion of us would have to agree about what is evil. Think that's doable? <laughs> get, a, get a handful of Christians together these days and see how quickly you can get unity on what is evil. And I want to say something, folks, and I, I, I'm going to ask you to to take what I'm saying and know that what I want you to do is to think far, far deeper than I'm going to go. Society has always tended 
to try to mold people's ideas about what is evil. And societies change. What is evil in one era is considered good in another era. And I am speaking to you Christians and begging you to start thinking deeply because our society is no different in that regard than any other society in history. We are not being given accurate information. And what's happening today, and it's happened all through human history, is societal pressure is causing good people, godly people, Christian people who don't know God's word quite deeply enough or how to apply it, is causing us to sometimes call evil good and good evil. So Christ follower, I am begging you, think deeper and don't don't be satisfied to let society determine your categories for what is evil because only God can do that only he sees the whole picture only see he's he sees the deeper ramifications you must not let society sweep you up in its opinion of evil but this is what would have to happen we'd have to have unified convictions about what is evil which is incredibly hard to do can't get humans to agree on much anything and then unified convictions about what is good and like I say we can't even agree that right here today in this room where I to do a survey and give a series of questions about what you consider to be good on certain issues and what you consider to be evil on certain issues I guarantee you we'd have great diversity of opinions and ideas so this is a problem. If you're going to end evil, if the creator who wants to really do things thoroughly and correctly, he'd have to somehow get us all unified on these issues. And that's not an easy issue at all. So maybe the problem is not that he cares too little and that he can't do something about the present conditions. Maybe the truth is he simply cares too much. And so because he cares so much, he won't intervene. We would like him to intervene at certain times, right? You know, j just before that person's ready to commit that crime, God intervenes and kind of freezes them in time, right? But, but aren't there other things that cause human hurt? I'm going to ask you a series of questions. Wait till I finish, then I'm going to ask for a response. And I don't mean small, but I mean really hurt. How many of you have ever been hurt? Don't raise your hands yet. How many of you have ever been hurt? By somebody simply telling you a lie. How many of you have ever been hurt simply by somebody not staying loyal to you, abandoning you? How many of you have ever been hurt by just having people speak terribly about you and you hear it? How many have ever been hurt by simply being not wanted, excluded? I'll stop there. Can I see hands of any of you that have been hurt by those things? So when we're talking about evil and things that hurt and shred hearts, we're not just talking about murder and rape and robbery. Of course, those things. But the problem goes much deeper. And the Creator feels your tears, feels your heartbreak, does not count those things small. He Himself feels those Therefore, maybe the reason he's not intervening is because he cares way too much and he simply won't give a piecemeal solution. Maybe the reason is, is because he knows there is a way, one way, that can eliminate evil from the universe forever. I want you to think about something. Long before humans were created, God had created other image-bearing beings called angels. 
and they lived evidently face to face with God. They evidently are much more powerful and brilliant than we are according to Scripture. They lived in a perfect environment, in a perfect relationship with God, and yet the Scripture teaches, and God knew it was going to happen. He knew when he, when he, when he, when he chose to do the most loving thing he could do, create beings in his own image with truly free wills, mind, emotion, reason, and free will. He knew that it would be misused. And the Scripture teaches that one-third of these angels rebelled against God and they knew him they knew him way better way better than we did in most cases so it shows that even perfect circumstances and and perfect face-to-face with God does not mean that evil can't still happen now I use the term they rebelled the human race has been deceived there's a big difference human beings are are redeemable by redeemable I'm not talking church language I mean that God can can work with us and bring us back to our senses the third the third of the angels that rebelled there's no bringing them back because they know exactly what they are doing and they know exactly who God is they know more comprehensively now since he's revealed himself in Christ but here's the thing God has promised and his his plan includes the absolute elimination of evil forever because If you think this through, if evil happened in heaven back in the eons past, why couldn't evil happen again in the eons future? But God says it's not. He He is working something out so that evil will never occur again. So let's start with that, with the idea of salvation. There's a guy named Richard Halverson. He was a a a former chaplain in the Senate for a lot of years. And he speaks about this, this idea of salvation, that, that it's more, much more comprehensive. Why did Jesus Christ not remain alive and eliminate generation by generation all the evils which harass humanity? Simply because he was the great physician. And in the finest tradition of medical science, he was unwilling to remain preoccupied with the what? The symptoms the, the, outward, the outward expressions of evil are but the symptoms of the inner condition when he could destroy the disease. Jesus Christ was unwilling to settle for anything less than the elimination of the cause of all evil in history. But probably some of you are still thinking, well, well, I, well what is that? What, what, what do you mean? Where does that go to? Do you remember we had this this answer about, you know, what, what is God's overarching plan? And it looked like this. God's big plan is the development of an eternal family of Christ-like beings united in loving devotion to Christ and one another. That's big. That's for eternity. Eternity is going to be this family of Christ-like beings, humans and angels, that will forever stay loyal to God, loyal to one another, loyal to good. But why? How does he get us there? How does he get us from angels, one-third of them rebelling, and all the humans being deceived? How does he get us from where we're at to that? And that's where God's patient outworking of his plan comes in. So what if this is the big truth right here? What if God is allowing evil for a little while so that he can do what? Eliminate it forever. Let that sink in. What if evil, because I'm saying this, I want you to understand. I am saying that for evil to be eliminated forever, God had to allow it to come into existence. 
That is, if he wanted to create beings that were truly image-bearing beings like himself, truly had mind, reason, emotions, free will, to, to finally bring free will, truly free will beings to the place where they love God, love righteousness, love one another, look at evil as, as if it's poison and would never choose it again. He had to, if I could go back to that statement. What if God is allowing evil for a little while so that he can eliminate it forever? Evil, evil as an abstract doesn't really give you the sense. I mean, I mean hatred is kind of vague until you see a whole nation filled with it going to war and killing millions of people. Hatred, prejudice, kind of vague until you see 1993, 1994, Rwanda, where the Hutu kill 800,000 Tutsi neighbors in three months. Your next door neighbor that you've been sharing, you know, hey, can I get some sugar from you? Sneaks over to your house with a machete and cuts you up in pieces. I mean, hatred is vague until that happens. Prejudice is vague until that happens. Genocide is vague until genocide happens. So what if that's the truth? Remember what we said in another message. What is the big problem in the universe? The big problem is this. According to Scripture, it's distrust in God, and that distrust in God that produces what? Disobedience to His will. It's this thought that, that God just makes up stuff. Just because he's big and powerful, he just tells us what to do because he likes to. As opposed to he tells us what to do because it's the only way that life can work. It's the only way that we can experience the very highest level, highest quality of life possible. The big problem is we don't trust him. It started in the Garden of Eden when we were deceived by one of those fallen angels. But that distrust continues. We distrust, distrust in God that produces disobedience his will. Every problem in humanity is rooted in this. So to solve the problem of evil, you have to solve the problem of distrust. You have to bring beings, free moral agents, free willed beings, where they truly trust in the Creator more than we trust in ourselves. So let's look at some scripture that kind of brings us some of these uh, concepts into concrete form and kind of affirms. Um, we were going to reverse that. Remember, we were going to put the Isaiah up first. There we go. But those who still reject me, this is the Lord talking, but those who still reject me, think in terms of those who refuse to trust me, those that won't come back to their destiny. We, we were made by Christ and for him, and life doesn't hold together apart from him. But those who still reject me are like the restless sea, just, just, just always restless, man, always, always bothered, always disturbed, always looking for something to, to make it work which is never still but continually churns up mud and dirt. There is what? No peace for the wicked, those who refuse to trust God, says my God. So the evidence is that it's impossible to come to a state of peace. Now if we could go to the Proverbs passage. Proverbs 11, it says, The integrity of the upright guides them, but the perversity of the treacherous does what to them? You see, evil is its own It's its own. Uh, destroyer. Um, when God calls something sin, it's because he's saying this will ultimately hurt you. You may not see it immediately. You may not know it's going on, but this is hurting you because I designed you differently to be a, a being of righteousness and love. And, and any form of sin, it's like a, 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 a contaminant in the inner machinery of life. It goes on to say this in Proverbs 19. It says, a person's own what? Our own folly leads to their what? 
ruin. What if God is trying to accomplish two things? What if he's trying to prove gently that he can be trusted, that he's trustworthy, that he's always good, that he's sacrificially devoted to us? And what if he's trying to let us see for ourselves sin is not our friend, it's our enemy? I'm going to ask you a personal question. How many in here can think back in your life of some things that you used to do and, man, you thought they were fun. You pursued them hotly. You, you look forward to doing them, and yet today you would never do them. You, just, you, you would never in a million years do them today. But, boy, there was a time, <laughs> man, you look forward to doing them. How many, how many can understand what I'm saying? Because that's me. Believe me, that, that is me. How about, is that you? Well, what happened? I mean, there are things that I did and used to look forward to doing and did it with great zeal and excitement that you couldn't make me do now. Why? What changed? How about we learn something? How about we learn that some of the things that are initially enjoyable, pleasurable, maybe they look profitable, turn out to be full of consequences we never expect. They start to hurt us and really complicate our lives and hurt those around us as well. And suddenly the light goes on and we're saying, yeah, I used to think that was okay, but I see now, that was crazy, man. I didn't know what I was doing. I did not know. What if that's part of God's solution? Look at the solution. We, we shared this in another message too. The solution is God's willingness to patiently, consistently, and gently reveal himself. To demonstrate his trustworthiness and mankind simultaneous with God gently showing us that he's trustworthy, not forcing himself on us quick, not using his power. You can't, you can't win somebody's trust with power. Simultaneous with that and mankind coming to authentic convictions that sin is always ultimately destructive. You just said that, some of you that raised your hand. You, you came to a conviction, a settled conviction, that thing that you used to do with great passion and zeal and look forward to it. You don't do it anymore. You wouldn't do it anymore because you've learned something. You've learned that ultimately it's destructive. And now you have convictions about it. What if God is allowing evil for a little while so that the whole watching universe of sentient beings come to the conclusion this can never, ever work. God is good. He's trustworthy. When he says do something, it's because he's seeking our highest well-being and happiness. And if he says don't do something, it's because he knows it's going to be destructive ultimately. What if his, his lack of engagement right now to engage evil is simply because he's working out a more comprehensive, everlasting good? What if it had to happen before people and angels would ever be convinced we must never let this happen again. Listen to these words from the book of Romans. The apostle Paul writing says, I consider what we suffer at the present time. Notice, we suffer presently in one way or another because this is a world of mixture of good and evil. Consider that we suffer at the present time cannot be compared at all with the glory 
that is going to be revealed to us. You see, God promises he's going to resolve evil. He's going to bring a stop point where evil will be no more, but it's going to be brought about in a natural way because the angels that will be still around and the humans that will still be around will all be in agreement of one thing. God is trustworthy. He's good all the time, and we get it. All we want to do is do your will. We will never, ever distrust you again. We've seen what it brings. And so it's looking forward to this time to come. How many of you have ever been in a situation like this? Uh, you were really, really, really hungry. Okay, we can all identify with that. And somebody was offering you some junk food right at the time that you were really, really hungry. Okay, would that be hard to resist when you're really, really hungry? Yeah, hard to resist. But what if you, what if you knew that your spouse or your mom, your dad, your friend had all prepared for you that night, if you could just resist for a little while, all prepared for you, waiting at home, waiting at their home, whatever the case, your favorite food. How many here have a favorite food? Can I see your hand? Yeah, I don't have a favorite food. I just kind of like all food, to tell you the truth. But, um, but okay, so your favorite food, you know it's at home, but you're starving and somebody's offering you junk food. How many, how many would say, I could resist the junk food if I knew my favorite food was waiting at home or at a friend's home for me? How many say, yes, I could resist that? Okay, so what we're saying, I can resist the temptations of evil now because I know God's got a banquet prepared for me in eternity. I can resist being angry at God now because he doesn't intervene the way I'd like to see him intervene because I know he's going to resolve evil completely forever. It's the, same, it's the same kind of a notion. 1 Corinthians 4 or 5 talks about this, the, that God's got a stop day. He's got a day that he's going to resolve all things. It says, don't judge anything before the appointed time. The people that say, why doesn't God intervene? Why doesn't he do something now? Why doesn't he? Why, why, why? Don't judge anything before the appointed time. Wait until what happens. The Lord returns. Jesus promised he would return. He will bring to light what is, in the hid, what is hidden in the dark. It goes on to say, he will show the real reasons why people do what they do. And at that time, each person will receive their praise from God. It's talking about judgment. The scripture promises, God promises, evil people are not going to get away with evil. People that refuse to return to God in trust, reject his will, reject his ways, pursue evil, they will face justice exacting justice because only god who knows the hearts can meet out exacting justice those who refuse god's mercy those who won't enter into the life that he calls us to forever will experience justice therefore even when the righteous are getting the worst of it being downtrodden it looks like sometimes how many of you know that the, the evil people they, they've got a much bigger toolbox a lot more tools than we do. I mean, we have to tell the truth all the time. We have to be honest and forthright and kind and loving and forgiving and compassionate. They have a toolbox full of, they can lie and cheat and steal and, you know, bully and murder. I mean, their, their toolbox is big. And a lot of times in this life, they do come out on top. And that's why God's judgment is such a critical thing. He's saying it might look like they're getting away, but they're not getting away with anything. So, why would such a being tolerate the present state of things? Because God's allowing evil for a little while so that he can eliminate it forever. So, guy, 
he, uh, he's not a pastor, but, but um, he wrote in a Christian periodical. His name is Rich Dobler, and he talked about vacationing. Well, actually, he is a pastor. I'm sorry about that, Rich. <laughs> vacationing in Minnesota at a little place called Babbitt. He went to one of these little fairs where they set up the little rinky-dink rides and all like that. They have them here in Frederick, too. And so he and his family got on uh, the Tilt-A-Whirl. How, how many like Tilt-A-Whirl? See your hands? Yeah, you're crazy, man. I wouldn't get on anything. Um, <laughs> but they liked the Tilt-A-Whirl, and they got there real early in the morning. And, you know, you get there real early in the morning, there was hardly anybody there. So they were, they were literally, he said, the only one in line that got on the Tilt-A-Whirl. So they got on it, and he said, it was going through his mind. He's saying, man, I hope this guy gives us a decent ride. He's not just going to put us on and take us off because there's nobody here yet. So they got on the Tilt-A-Whirl, and, uh, you know, it takes you up, and then centrifugal force pins you to the wall. You cannot move if you wanted to, and you're going round and round. He said him and his kids were looking at each other, and they were smiling. And uh, it went on, and, and then he started thinking, wow, man, this guy is, he's giving us a good ride. It, he's really keeping us up here for a while. And he says, he started looking at the guy, and because they're going too long, he says, oh, it, it, all of a sudden, he said, it's, it wasn't feeling nearly as good and fun as it, as it did before. And he said, now he's looking at the guy with eyes of desperation, trying to get the man's attention, and the man is just ignoring them. And he said, now I'm feeling really, really bad, bad, like biologically bad. Something, something's going to come out of here soon, you know? So... Uh, he says, it went on and on, and he said, finally, finally, mercifully, the guy stopped the ride. And I thought about that story, and I thought about how much that's kind of like what some of our experiences with evil can be. Because, you know, here's the way we are as people. We want God to stop that guy's evil. <laughs> but I don't want him to stop my evil. I, I have this little pocket, you know, we, we all have a little area of our life, or we, we shouldn't, but we tend to do, have an area of our life where we say, God, I'll, I'll handle this area myself. Um, the rest of the stuff, you dig in and do what you want. But this area, I think I got it, God. I got it. Only to find that we're on a tilt-a-wheel, tilt-a-whirl. Starts out real fun. Some of you, you got to listen to me because God's speaking directly to you. You're in the tilt, you're on the tilt of world. And it might still be at the stage where it's feeling fun. But you're going to learn before you know it that you can't get off. You're stuck. Just like centrifugal force holds you on a tilt of world, sin has a power that can grab hold of us, alter our ability to reason and make decisions. And before long, we lose control and we become slaves to the power of the tilt-a-whirl. And then it starts to make us sick. And I suspect that some of you are already at the point where it's making you sick. It's making your relationships sick. It's making your career sick. It might be making you physically sick. And a loving God is saying, don't wait for me to intervene entirely. Intervene yourself I'm here to help you stop the tilt-a-wheel. But you've got to trust me. You've got to trust me in each and every area of your life. You've got to trust me in those areas that society is saying, this is perfectly fine and dandy, but you've got to trust that God says, it's not, it's not. You just haven't been on the wheel long enough. You haven't seen this thing fully. And so as we close this series, I hope that some of you authentically for the first time in your life 
will choose, I'm going to trust God. I'm going to follow his will. I'm going to follow his ways. I'm going to get into his word, and I'm going to let his word get into me. And I'm going to, from now on, shape my ideas about what is good and what is evil strictly based on God's word. And I'm going to start thinking deeply, and I'm going to start scrutinizing what society says because I know that society often lies about what is good and what is evil. I'm going to get off the tilt-a-whirl today. I, I, hope, I hope some of you will be humble enough to know that a loving God has spoken directly to you and given you an invitation. He's allowing evil for a little while so that he can end it forever. And he wants to start ending it in all of our lives. He wants to start ending it right now, today, this morning. Let's pray. First, Father, we thank you that you have mercy and pity on us, that uh, you know how deceived we are, how that we can pursue what we think is good only to find that it brings great destruction, great havoc, not just to ourselves, but to those closest to us. Some of us are really stuck. We, we don't even know how to get out of what we've gotten ourselves into. Uh, may your good spirit lead us to wisdom and resources that we can all get off the tilt of world and get into the center of your will. We ask these things in Christ's name. Amen.